Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Welcome to another ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagonblast. Today we're doing something a bit different in that this is going to be the first podcast where we're actually talking to uh, the person that is going to be interviewed face-to-face. I'm joined by Charles T. Brown. He's a senior researcher with the Alan M. Voorhees Transportation Center, as well as an adjunct professor at the Edward J. Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers University here in New Brunswick. Charles, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I think the best place to start off is telling us a bit about some of your views when it comes to some of the most pressing challenges when it comes to healthy and sustainable transportation today. Well, that is indeed a lot to unpack. Um, But when you think about broadly what it means to be a healthy and a sustainable community, it's important through my lens to focus on the least of these in each of those communities. How are low-income and minority people treated as part of the transportation decision-making process, as well as how are they treated in public space? How are they treated in terms of access to upward mobility, as well as to overall access in the transportation system, access and mobility? So I think in order for a community to be truly considered a sort of healthy and a sustainable community, it will ensure that the least of these, the low-income and minority populations, have the access that everyone else enjoys and are protected physically, emotionally, cognitive, et cetera, in and about their movements throughout a city. At the opening of the podcast, I gave your titles, but that really doesn't tell us that much about your background. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with this. My background is um, I have about 16 years of experience in planning, policy, and research. I also work with communities to ensure participation by low-income and minority groups within the transportation decision-making process, something that we would call public outreach and engagement. Um, I've worked uh, in the private sector for private engineering firms. I've worked in the public sector for the city of Orlando. I've served in the military, and uh, now I'm in academia where I have an opportunity to sort of test many of my hypotheses. I am a person that believes strongly in the idea of looking at or analyzing social justice within transportation and the creation of healthy and sustainable communities. Reason being is because I I strongly feel that too often that is a topic that is not paid much attention to, uh, but it is the one topic, if addressed appropriately, could lead to the changes that we all would like to see, which are the healthy and sustainable communities. I've um, been fortunate enough to travel around the U.S., uh, raising this up as an issue and a gap in our current approach uh, to not only design but also policy around transportation. And uh, I'm happy to see that um, it's receiving the attention that it deserves. And as a street-level researcher, I'm a person that believes strongly in that the community are the ones that have the answers to many of the questions that we're asking. 
So while I am privileged to and honored to speak to you today, I would say that the experts are those who reside in the communities who are faced with all the issues that we'll be discussing. I'm simply a voice for them. One of the ways that you're a voice for them, I guess, is through America Walks, where you serve as a board member. Tell me a little bit about that organization, please. Yeah, so America Walks is a fantastic organization, one that I am proud to be a board member of. And America Walks' whole mission is to increase walking and walkability around the U.S. Uh, We have this mission because we realize that, unfortunately, uh, regardless of a person's race, ethnicity, or income, too often places are designed with cars in the mind and not pedestrians in mind or bicyclists and other more vulnerable modes. So America Walks, um, as the title suggests, is about ensuring that people are able to walk to and from the locations that uh, they would like to get to in a safe uh, and equitable way. You talked about you being a voice for the community. Do you think that people in the communities are understanding their role in terms of advocacy when it comes to some of these sustainability and health issues? I think they understand the issues very well. But in this country, we have a history of disinvestment. We have a history of disenfranchisement. So to go back and answer your question, yes, I do think the public understands very well the issues that we're faced with in society in terms of transportation. But I don't think that they have been given a fair role and a place to play a part in the decision-making processes. Too often when it comes to public outreach and engagement, it happens at a time which most of Americans are not available. It takes place in a language which many of our Americans don't understand, and it happens at a place that has a history of distrust associated with it uh, in terms of how the community feels when it comes to that. So I think they are well-versed in the issues, but they are sort of disgruntled in that They've been talking about the issues for so long without resources being devoted to them to address their issues. And so if you've been mistreated or feel like you've been mistreated for a substantial amount of time, at some point you're going to quit or not be involved in the process overall. So I think that's what we're seeing, quite honestly. A lot of the advocacy that I've noticed takes place in urban communities, but there are issues in suburban communities and maybe even less well-noticed issues in rural communities. Do you think people in the rural communities are also focused on this uh, to the extent that they need to be? Oh, absolutely, and that's a great point to bring up because when I talk about people, I'm not just talking about my sort of urban friends and colleagues. Um, I grew up in a town of 500 people. That's as rural as it gets. And so I understand firsthand how these issues could be even more uh, complicated for the rural and the suburban areas as compared to the urban areas. But the point of the fact remains that regardless of where we're located, there are populations within each of these geographies that deserve more attention and more resources devoted to ensuring their safety and mobility across America. Obviously, the rapid changes in technology are something that are affecting transportation And we see new travel options that are out there like bike share, scooters, more and more things that are available to folks that weren't available in the past. How do you think that's affecting what's going on? I think when you mention bike share and e-scooters, I think they're having overall a very positive sort of uh, impact on mobility and mobility options, particularly for the underserved. For instance, I'll use bike share. When it comes to bike share, Uh, Many of the dockless systems have been providing options for those who don't reside in downtown to be able to travel 
or have access to bike share that otherwise would not have been placed in their community due to the fact that many bike share systems, the dock ones, are located first in the downtown central business district. So being that you now have dockless systems, which for the most part don't have uh, sort of geographic boundaries that restrict mobility, it allows options for those who are outside of the city to have access to and be able to use the system in a productive way. When it comes to e-scooters, I think they have even more of an opportunity to help the less fortunate in that uh, not only do you get the benefit of increased access, but now it's a mode that fortunately has not or does not come with it the stigma of it's for white populations only or rich white populations. So it hasn't been owned by anyone historically. So now most low-income minorities, females, others feel that they have access to this new technology which could be something that brings us all together in a meaningful way. One of the themes, it seems, in what we're talking about here are equity issues when it comes to transportation and how healthy travel options are implemented. Tell us about some of your concerns that you've written about and what you think communities should be doing differently when it comes to these issues. Yeah, so equity is, I always like to give a a definition or a framing of equity so that people know where I stand, but Equity is simply giving people what they need to enjoy full, healthy lives. That's the first definition. The second one, however, is about equity being present in the distribution, design, and processes around transportation systems, so where you're spending the money. And then thirdly, equity requires you to face or be aware of the historic uh, sort of injustices that created the inequalities that we see in society today. So with that in mind, the number one thing communities could do is analyze where there are gaps uh, in terms of access and mobility and then spend the resources to ensure that low-income and minority communities can thus enjoy the fruits of that new infrastructure. A second thing that they can do once infrastructure investments have been made is to commit to the maintenance of those infrastructure investments uh, because oftentimes we make investments in these communities Uh, in return 50 years later. So if we're going to ensure that people can safely move to and from locations, it's about maintaining that as well. Thirdly, when we have these public engagement sort of sessions, uh, it's important to understand that not everyone speaks English or English isn't their first language. So to ensure that everyone feels welcome, um, I think it's important to host these meetings in multiple languages at multiple times in different venues. And then lastly, I would say, um, let's be inclusive. Let's ensure that we choose places that persons with disability can access, the physical disabilities. And then also when it comes to, you know, persons who may be blind or deaf or otherwise, make sure that they can uh, listen and actively participate in the process. These issues obviously involve political involvement. And I can see that happening on the local level, the state level, and the national level. Do you see it happening on all three? And if so, maybe is there one that seems to predominate uh, or maybe one that uh, maybe more attention should be paid to? I think the issues are local. Uh, But I do think on a national level, uh, we have the ability to create policies that will ensure that on a state, regional, and local level, things are being done and done properly. For instance... Uh, You look at the Environmental Justice uh, Act in Title VI, it ensures that, you know, no discrimination should be a part of the process. From a federal level, that's the type of policy we need to ensure that people are not excluded from the process. 
But when it comes to getting infrastructure in many of these small towns, rural, urban, or suburban, um, a lot of that has to do with the local elected officials. And many of them are doing an excellent job at providing the transportation options that people need. However, because of partisan issues, there are still some that don't view uh, mobility via biking and walking as the ideal form of transportation or even the correct alternative mode of transportation. So there needs to be increased regulations around certain forms of mobility, and I won't, I won't call them out, but it is a local issue as far as I'm concerned. When it comes to this, you talk about how some people may be supportive, some others not supportive. There's been a lot of attention paid to sustainability and alternative forms of transportation and things of that sort. Is there still a lot of education that needs to be done at this point? Of course, education needs to be done, but not education in a traditional sense. I think the education that needs to happen is there needs to be more empathy. I think those who are fortunate, including myself, who have a car and can get safely to it and from a place, needs to see how difficult it is for those who don't enjoy the freedom that comes with a car or who don't have access to you know, transit options to see how it feels to get to and from your everyday whereabouts. So the education that I think needs to happen is that we need to see each other as humans and see that when you struggle, your neighbor suffers and the community suffers. So I'm calling for, through my sort of analysis and review of social equity or the lack of social equity in transportation, a call for humanity to see us as brothers and sisters that we are. One of the areas that involves sustainable transportation gets into the area of complete streets. How do you spread the word about complete streets? Because it seems that I, as I've looked at some of the news stories that have come out, there still is some confusion as to what's involved with that and things of that sort. So how do you get that word out and how do you advocate for complete streets when you're trying to uh, support that? Right. So complete streets are streets that are designed, operated, and maintained with all users in mind. I emphasize the all because that's been the theme of the conversation that we're having. Too often, streets are designed not with all users in mind. Historically, it has been designed, first and foremost, for cars. And so we need to uh, not be anti-car, but sort of balance this out, make it more complete by ensuring that those who are biking, those who are walking, those who are taking public transit, uh, regardless of age from 8 to 80, uh, can safely move from one place to the next. The way you get the word out in today's society is probably, number one, word of mouth still. Um, but number two, I would say it would be social media. And then also getting people when they're young. So going into the schools as the New Jersey Safe Routes to School Resource Center and others do, educating the children on these mobility options. Children that will one day become decision makers, become leaders, and then hopefully by that time they'll understand or have the empathy necessary to create the communities we want. Is there any research that you're currently involved with that you think would be of particular interest to ITE members? Um, yes, we, we just, oftentimes when it comes to engineers, they focus too much, and this is a brotherly criticism, they focus too much on place and not enough focus on people. I've emphasized and, and talked about ad nauseum that we're creating great places not for the sake of just creating great places, but we're creating great places for people. And if we could start with people in mind, I think many of the sort of engineering mistakes that we've made in the past 
uh, would be mitigated because we see at the center of this and the heart of this discussion people, whether those people look like us, have the same access or opportunities or not. And so as part of this conversation about place and people, there needs to be more focus played on how people are treated within that space. And so I discussed the need to focus on the impact of crime on mobility. And one of my studies that my team here at Rutgers, we've done, is we've analyzed the impact of crime on mobility in Newark, New Jersey, uh, Verona, and Bloomfield, and we found that it does have an impact on people's mobility overall. But one of the, the significant findings of that research was also how women have to make certain decisions before exiting their home out of fear of being harassed uh, by men. So many of them were choosing to place themselves in danger from a traffic standpoint simply to avoid men. If you are designing with place in mind and not people in mind, that's something that you will overlook. Another thing is that there's an emphasis on placemaking and design, but there is no issue, be, no emphasis beyond the curve. And what I mean by that is that many low-income and minority populations have been mistreated by law enforcement. And if you are designing an ideal community, yet people still are concerned about being harassed while walking and biking, what's the point? And so I think professionally, we all need to come into a room together and understand that through that empathy that I discussed, that there is no sustainable, healthy community if the least of us cannot navigate that space. And I'll share briefly one of the studies I did on a national level, looking at barriers to biking and walking. A young lady who represents a religious minority, uh, she's a Muslim, I asked her, what could be done to get you to bike more often? And she looked me dead in my eye and she said, Mr. Brown, you would have to put a gun to my head to get me to bike. And I realized at that point, my professional background had not prepared me to deal with the real issues. Oftentimes, that's because we work in a silo and we don't work at the intersection of all of these issues. Many of us need to understand impacts beyond just engineering. We need to understand the social, the political, and the economic impacts, as well as the health impacts of increasing walking, walkability, and mobility. So my sort of challenge to engineers is to think beyond the place and to consider some of these additional impacts. And I know this is an issue because many of them have not been educated in those other areas. And we are at the intersection, pun intended. And it requires professionalism that considers the intersectionality of all these variables. When you talk about the fear of crime having an effect on transportation and people's decisions about what forms of transportation they're going to be using, obviously law enforcement becomes involved. Typically, you don't see law enforcement people at gatherings of transportation professionals like planners and engineers. Are you seeing more involvement, or does there need to be more involvement of law enforcement to address some of these issues? Yes, more should be involved and more have been involved. And the overwhelming majority of law enforcement wants to do and does do the right thing. However, one cannot ignore, because it's constantly in the media, the fear and the trauma that is surrounded by how people of color are treated by law enforcement in public space. And so, again, my challenge to planners, engineers, and others is that if you're calling a place a walkable place, a sustainable place, a healthy place, and a bikeable place, and people of color are fearful of even leaving their house, 
my estimation tells me that that place doesn't meet the standards of that sort of designation. And in addition to that, I find it quite disrespectful from a humanity standpoint that we're willing to designate a place as being walkable, bikeable, a strong town, a sustainable town, a healthy town, and we haven't looked out for our neighbors. Uh, so for me, I, I find that disrespectful to humanity as a whole. So that's one of the reasons why this year another project I'm working on is a documentary. And the documentary is looking at the impact, the social, political, the health, and the economic impact of over-policing black mobility. I don't think we've had a broad enough and a comprehensive enough discussion around how people are traumatized from this. You know, sure, there's the death of persons, which we all sort of are in agony over, but there's also the trauma that happens to the community as a whole. And in America, one of the things that we do need to deal with is the trauma that we're all facing. Some of us are more aware of that trauma than others, but I think engineers and planners and others who are creating these spaces needs to be well-versed in the history of place so that they're creating a place in the future that is welcoming of all people. And I could say very well the same thing that happens to persons with disability, how they're mistreated, how persons who are members of the LBGTQ plus I community, how they're treated. I'm really calling for more love and design of these places and the policing of these places because it's, it's just that important. We talked about going to some of the conferences and such that the transportation professionals attend. As you attend these, are you seeing people like yourself, people of color, that are having their voices heard? Is there a need for greater diversity in the transportation world? So yes, uh, absolutely. I think there needs to be more diversity in the field. Most time when I attend these conferences, I do see people that are like me and that they have the heart to bring about the changes that we would like to see. Uh, but many of these people, unfortunately, are not people of color. And uh, that's a unique experience, having grown up in America, having deal with the disinvestment, disenfranchisement of people who look like me. And so when you think about the lack of overall diversity and inclusiveness in engineering and in planning, you can't help but think that a system that is designed or a system that lacks diversity is also a system that is inherently biased. And I'll repeat that any system that lacks diversity and inclusiveness is a system that is inherently biased. And that biasness leads to technology advancements, leads to policy decision, planning decisions, and engineering decisions that favor some and disenfranchise others. So I think uh, representation is, is super important, but not representation simply for the standpoint of being tokenized or for it being sort of this symbolic gesture. I'm not in it for that. I'm in it for the greater benefit of all of humanity. One of the topics that's come up in many of our previous podcasts has been Vision Zero, how does that figure into some of the things that we've been talking about today? Well, I think Vision Zero is great in that it is aiming to eliminate fatalities on our roadways. I think, in principle, that is fantastic. I think what many of the efforts so far have lacked is that, again, they're not looking at how low-income and minority populations are treated within the public space. They're not analyzing whether or not, for the most part, investments are prioritized in these areas. And then lastly, they call for, many of them, uh, increased enforcement. 
And of course, as we've just talked about, that enforcement could come with, unfortunately, uh, the death or the imprisonment of black and brown populations. So I think if we're going to continue to support and sort of uh, ask for more Vision Zero Action Plans, which I am a fan of, I think we need to strongly consider the equity implications of that. And more importantly, too, we need to ensure process participation equity, which is ensuring that these populations are a part of the creation of these Vision Zero Action Plans. Uh, So I think it's a great thing, but uh, let's not forget the harm that could come from it if not done correctly. And another topic that also I would imagine has an overlap with the things that we've been talking about today when it comes to sustainability and equity are open streets. Tell me a bit about that and how you see that playing a role. Yeah, open streets is another thing that gets me really excited. Open streets, uh, sometimes also called Seclovia, Seclovia, is a movement that started in Bogota, Colombia. It's basically where you shut down streets to cars for about four hours a day and you open them up so that people can be mobile via walking, biking, skating. I love open streets. We've hosted several here in the city of New Brunswick. And I think all of the things that I've discussed here today, open streets allows for it to manifest in that one place, which is trust being built between law enforcement, people of color being able to experiment with different modes of transportation, people uh, not being socially isolated, but people now having the ability to meet their neighbors in a safe place, the LGBTQ plus I community being involved and feeling appreciated and welcome, persons with disability, regardless of the disability, being welcome and being included in the planning process. So I think Open Streets as a program or as a tool has the ability to not only help us see many of these issues through, but also to kind of be a way that we can ensure that it continues time and time again and people are healthy in the process. We've been talking on this month's edition of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast with Charles T. Brown. He is a senior researcher with the Alan M. Voorhees Transportation Center, as well as an adjunct professor at the Edward J. Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers University, and as we mentioned, a board member for America Walks. Charles, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us this month. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure, and I wish I had your voice. Uh, You have an amazing voice, so thank you for that.